Peace of Christ be with you. Take a few moments to slow down, to breathe more deeply, and be gathered into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sisters and brothers in Christ, let us worship the living God. Please kindly rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. Gather together in prayer, word, and song. Gather to seek the spirit and encounter the Gather together at a table of fellowship. Gather together around the font of blessing.
be seated. I hope you do feel welcome into this place, this worship service here at Westminster. Whether this is your church home or you're just visiting, we're especially glad that you are here if you're a visitor. Uh, I know summer is when people tend to head off for vacation, but I gotta tell you, summer's the best time to attend church. The service, oh no, in the year the services are so full, which is fine, but it's nice we can kind of breathe into it. So I do encourage you when you're in town to be here because um, personally I find the worship services are a little better in the summer. (laughs) Sorry, it's just my perspective. I hope at some point in the service you fill out the friendship register, pass it down and back so that you can see who's worshiping around you, and we could have a note of your attendance here, especially if you want us to reach out to you. Um, I don't know when you're supposed to do that, because Bethany usually does this part of the service, so when do you usually do that? Offertory. Okay, good. I, I almost said the anthem last week, and I thought, what an offense to our musician that would be. So, offertory, plates, register. Okay. So much for it being better in the summer. Please join me in the community prayer, which is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. God, for your blessings, we give you thanks and celebrate with one another. For our struggles, we pray your help and offer aid and comfort. For the opportunities to care, we pray for open eyes and attentive spirits. For regrets, we pray for release in second chances. We trust these prayers and our very selves to you. Amen. Our prayers continue in the quiet of our hearts. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are set free. We are set free from all that binds us, all that threatens to control us, all that tempts us to live in ways that are hurtful. In Jesus Christ, we are set free. Know that and be at peace. Amen. I invite the children forward for a time of discovery with Jeff. They're older now. 
But as my friend Neil, he has a mustache. He was in middle school when I lived there. Clay, he's the bald guy on the right. He's a missionary now in Ethiopia. And their parents are over there on the left, Bill and Tracy. Bill and Tracy grew up in Louisiana. And you know what that means? That means they know how to make really good food. <laughs> so they made things like jambalaya and caprile uh, for me. It was fantastic living there. They let me, they gave me a whole separate room for myself. They had a little dog, because one of those little teeny dogs that you could, you know, sit in your lap, and his name was Mugsy. And I loved Mugsy, because Mugsy would sing a train song. There was a train that would go by their house, and when the train would go by, it would blow its whistle, and then Mugsy would hear that and just go, <laughs> And by the end of the summer, I trained Mugsy to do train song on command, because I thought it was so funny. I would just come home, and I'd be so excited to see Mugsy, and I would say, Mugsy, sing the train song, and he would get this really serious look. He would go, One of the ways we take care of each other here is to share our joys and concerns. So if you have something that you'd like the community to hold in prayer, just raise your hand and speak out. Ruth E. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Ruthie shares the prayers of a friend who was, while she was visiting Ruthie, had her home burned down. And all that goes with that. 
Thank you. Others? Yeah, please, Lynn. So this is Lynn Chittick, if you've not met her yet. Lynn is a new member in this congregation, and she's a seminarian over at SFTS, and she is now under care of this congregation, which means we will walk with her in the ordination process. And her summer internship is with the Seafarers Ministry. You can read more about uh, that in the bulletin. And there's a, a, the first worship service of that ministry for the summer is today. So please pray for her and come alongside her. Bruce. Wow, so, so, yeah, yeah, so Bruce celebrates with two friends who have been cancer-free for years, and he includes himself among that, and I know many of you are in that um, camp as well. Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth rejoices over, uh, yeah, successful um, uh, sort of correction to an additional to an earlier eye surgery. And those of you who struggle with hearing or with vision know how isolating uh, that experience is. And especially for someone like Elizabeth, who is an artist, and you can see her artwork uh, in the other building, um, it's a joy that you can see again. Yeah. Yeah, Joan lifts up prayers for the homeless, and especially Edward. And if you've been working with the REST program, you'll know who Edward is. Thank you. So I went over here. Please. Oh. Yeah, celebrating seeing the whales come through. I've heard they've been really active around the bridge. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Karen, are you going to tell us about your husband, I hope? Thank you. Karen's husband was in the hospital, and he's home, and we rejoice with you in that. Um, I'll lift up one or two. Jeff, uh, who you just saw, uh, will be heading out uh, soon after the service to go lead uh, the week at Westminster Woods, the Presbytery's Camp and Conference Center. And so you are sort of gifting Jeff to them for the week. Uh, which is a real blessing. Uh, he will contribute a lot there. And, uh, but I ask that you hold him in prayer and all the campers who will be there this week. He'll be leading the high school portion of that. Also, uh, Bethany is away on vacation, so please uh, pray for a fun and restful time for all of them. Anyone else? Uh, oh, go ahead. And then Peter, yeah. 
I don't have an, an update to give you on Sina. Many of you come to the Wednesday class, and sometimes she's at worship. No, Sina, who's um, living with pancreatic cancer, and I don't know anything new. I just know it's been a struggle. Yeah, Peter. Can we celebrate the finishing of your writing? Or? Well, um, yes and no. I, thank you for asking. I was on study leave again last week, and I um, finished another round of revisions on the dissertation, but there's, there, there are more rounds to come, I think. So I feel like it's a title fight, and we're on round three. I'm, I don't want to know what the judge's card says at this point. Let's pray. You are the warmth that takes off the morning chill, O oh God. You are the cool shade from the scorching sun of midday. You're the quiet light of the evening. You meet us, O oh God, right where we need you to meet us. And you have what we need. So meet us in our praying, in our concern, in our joy, in our celebration, in our thanksgiving, in our sorrow. Meet us again as you did and as you do in Christ. Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
That was beautiful. Thank you. Okay, today's first scripture reading is Psalm 13, 1 through 6. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over time? Excuse me, exalted over me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Second reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 40 to 42. And here Jesus is teaching to the twelve disciples. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of a righteous person. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was an uncomfortable event that happened every day, about every day at least, when I was in seminary. In the refectory where we would eat, just sort of picture Harry Potter, (laughs) all the African-American students would sit around a couple of round tables here, separate from everyone. It was uncomfortable because here we were, all Christians, 
uh, all supposedly in one form or another giving their lives over to the church for service who are going to be sent out one day to teach about Jesus. Jesus who is defined as much as anything as someone who would eat with the people other people wouldn't eat with, right? Who are one day going to go and be ambassadors for God. God who went to such lengths to show God's love for us even unto the cross, right? And we couldn't go the length of a table to eat with one another. We mixed in class. We had other times we were together, but, but meals, blacks and whites, and others too, often separate. Now, already I've said something pretty problematic, which I assume you've caught. Uh, I said the African Americans all sat over here. I could have said all the whites sat in the tables, which incidentally were in the middle of the room in a predominantly white campus. See, perspective on these things matters, which way you're looking at it, what angle you're coming from. And I, for one, have almost never had a minority perspective. In the the few moments that I have had one, I've always kind of had in my pocket uh, the privilege that comes with having a majority identity in the larger culture. Straight, white, male, educated, citizen, right? These all hold a certain degree of power, and that assures you, even when momentarily you're in a minority position. Now, your experience may have been very different from mine, but that's been my experience. And and my sense is that that kind of power really matters, and, and who has power and how it shows up makes a difference. So one time in seminary, a few of us white students went to a black student association meeting, I don't remember the occasion. We were there in in solidarity uh, of something that was going on, and we were friends with many of the uh, members of that group. And so we went, and at some point, they were talking about an initiative they were trying to pull off on campus, and they just didn't have enough money. And so my friend, uh, who is also a landlord, pulls out his wallet and pulls out a wad of money and says, how much you need? Hands it all over to them. Now, this guy is as generous as they come. And he's about all the right issues, well, from my perspective. And so what he did on one level was supportive and generous. And on another level, inadvertently, reminded that group where the real power was. And who needed to be kept happy if the resources were going to flow. It was an uncomfortable event in a way very different from the refectory scene. Well, one more uncomfortable piece, then I'll let you off the hook. The reading that you just heard about Jesus may not mean what you think it means. So you remember that passage, he's talking to the 12, and it culminates in that line, he says, says, even if you give a cold cup of water to one of these little ones, you won't lose your reward. And we often hear that interpreted as a simple call to care for the neediest in our midst. And undoubtedly, that's the call of the gospel. But it's not all that that passage is pointing to. In fact, it may not even be the deepest thing to which that passage is pointing. That that passage reminds me of uh, 
the more, probably more familiar passage in your mind from Matthew 25, where it's the sheep and the goats, and Jesus has this sort of prophetic vision of separating people at the end of time and judging who, who did what. And at some point, people say, well, when was it that we saw you naked and clothed you? When was it that we saw you hungry and fed you? When was it that we saw you thirsty? We don't remember this and gave you something to drink or, or housed you. And, and then the response is, of course, well, whenever you did it, for the least of these, you did it to me. And we likewise interpret that as, yes, care for the neediest in your midst, which, if you know anything about Jesus, is clearly the gospel. I mean, you, you can't deny that. But there's a, another level of complexity to those passages that the modern ear misses. And I'll point to two phrases which will expose that for you. The first is the least of these, which I just quoted, and the other one is the little ones. Now, who do you suppose those phrases are referring to? They're referring to the early Christians or new Christians, new converts, early missionaries in the Jesus movement. They were known as the little ones or even the least of these. In this passage, Jesus is telling a budding minority group to make sure to take care of its own. That's a powerful message. He's not telling a majority group to make sure you take care of your own. He's telling a budding minority group, make sure you take care of your own. Now, Often, uh, pastors like to overlook that, especially progressive pastors like to overlook that because they think it undercuts the social justice message of the gospel. Of course, it doesn't, but they're nervous about that, so they look away from it. But in doing so, they miss this very important reminder uh, that our origins were as a small, threatened minority group. And that comes, brings with it a certain set of experiences of what it's like to live when the world around you is hostile and that needs to be paid attention to and that is a real call for justice, which in the Bible is also righteousness. Right? So imagine what it was like for those early followers of Jesus, this early minority community. They had left their religion behind, a religion that was in and of itself a minority in a larger system, but a minority that had come to terms with the empire and had sort of a working relationship. Who was going to take care of these people? Where was the infrastructure that would uh, serve them? Uh, the former systems that they had for caring for the sick and all that, well, that was gone. They'd left the synagogue. So all those systems were off limits to them now. And the wider government, well, in the Roman Empire, you were required to be a part of the imperial cult. And the early followers of Jesus were defined by uh, the fact that they would refuse to say that Caesar was Lord. So you think the empire was going to help them? No. So all those support systems that larger communities enjoyed were now off limits to them. And Jesus, when he teaches uh, this story to them, he's acknowledging that the fact that they stepped out in faith has made has made it so that their lives no longer matter as much in the dominant culture. He's acknowledging that they put themselves at risk 
and they're at a fundamental disadvantage, and so they best take care of each other. And this is why so many good white people miss the meaning of movements like Black Lives Matter. Often people will say in retort, oh, good people, well, all lives matter. It's usually white people who say that to me. And of course, all lives matter. You can think whatever you want about that movement. You can think whatever you want about anything. If you haven't figured that out about this church, then, um, then we've failed. But don't miss the meaning. The meaning says, well, uh, in theory, all lives matter. In reality... Society in all kinds of ways, formal and informal, criminal justice, opportunity, access to education, whatever it is, in all kinds of ways, we function as if all lives don't matter equally. And the data supports that. There's a, um, a study I came across this year that's um, really unsettling. It comes out of the uh, Stern Business School at NYU, partnered with Wharton from Penn. And uh, this is what it said. Uh, in this study, they sent emails to 6,500 professors at 259 American universities. And the emails came from fictional prospective students writing to professors expressing interest in their PhD programs. It was sent to me by uh, uh, some of members here that I won't, I won't point out, but I'll be grateful to. So these fictional emails went to these professors expressing interest in a PhD program. And the only difference in all these emails was the name of the sender. And they picked stereotypical ethnic and gender names, such as Meredith Roberts, likely Euro-American white female, Lamar Washington, African-American male, Juanita Martinez, Hispanic female, Raj Singh, Indian, Chang Huang, Chinese, and so on and so on. And here's what they found. Professors were more responsive to white male students than to female, black, Hispanic, Indian, or Chinese students in almost every discipline and across all types of universities. We found, so the authors of the study wrote, the most severe bias in disciplines paying higher faculty salaries and at private universities. Business, and they lamented this fact since they were business faculty, business showed the most bias of all. 87% of white males received a response compared to just 62% of all females and minorities combined. White males got responses at a rate of 87. Everybody else, 62. Now, We've come to expect that bias, even if we don't like it. My guess is many of you are not surprised by that. But they noticed some even surprising results as well that show the level at which we've internalized stereotypes. Uh, for example, fictional black students reaching out to black professors did not reduce the bias. Even African-American professors discriminated against African-American students. And that was true for everyone except Chinese students who were not discriminated against as much by Chinese professors. But Chinese students were the most discriminated against group in the bunch. When we experience minority groups 
taking care of their own. What we're experiencing is people doing what Jesus just told his followers to do. In the midst of real circumstances that are really unfair. They're addressing real wrongs. It can be hard to accept, I understand, or confusing, or maybe it's um, empowering. It sort of depends where you are. But the point of this is not to uh, inspire white guilt, and I don't assume everybody here is white. I know that's not true. I know you're not all male. I know we're not all straight. I know we're not all wealthy. I know we're not all educated, right? But Jesus' words are not meant to make you feel bad or to make you feel ashamed, or to make you feel angry, or to make you feel defensive. Jesus' words are to make you feel the way they're always meant to make you feel, liberated. Because Jesus Christ came to set us free from sin, which is the bondage of being in a way that's hurtful to people, or hurtful to ourselves. And Jesus always sets us free, and so no matter where you sit on that spectrum of majority minority, it sets all of us free from that way so we can live in to a better way of being. If you happen to be a, a minority in one or more ways, then I hope you hear his words as acknowledgement. Acknowledgement that, that your way is hard and that it can be scary to be who you are where you are, and maybe a sign of hope and promise that that's where the gospel stands. If you are in a a majority group or a number of majority groups, well, hear that as simply an important reminder that we too were once slaves in Egypt. That's where we were born, in captivity, without power, Remember that history. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, that we might live differently if and when we achieve positions of power. Jesus' words are straightforward. You know, people in the faith all the time um, say to me, what they want more than anything is the truth. They want authenticity. And if that's what you're after, there's no better one than Jesus because he says it just like it is. He says to his early followers, it's going to be hard and this is what you're going to need to do to take care of each other. And he's not departing from the ways of his tradition. You heard it in the Psalm and it's in Matthew too. These are both passages of people who have felt left behind. The psalmist says, how long will you, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? as an individual and as a group crying out, saying, even God has forgotten me. In Matthew's gospel, yes, they believed in the resurrection, but these were people who'd been left behind by the crucifixion, and even if Jesus had been raised, it didn't fix everything. In fact, it made it harder for them. Their decision to follow Christ made their lives harder. And Jesus in this teaching is saying, I know, and I can't make it go away. So you have to take care of each other because you're a minority. These are the lengths to which you'll have to go. 20-year-old Hector Zuniga lived in Mission, Texas, and he was distraught when he found out this past April that his local Blockbuster video was going to close. I didn't know Blockbuster video was still open, but apparently in Mission, Texas, until April it was. 
But this destroyed Hector because Hector um, lives with a real serious case of autism. He's nonverbal. He has difficulty in a number of areas of his life. But one of the great joys was going to Blockbuster with his family to pick out his videos and going home to, and then go home and watch them. And he'd been doing this for years, and it was a ritual, a family outing. And he'd go back to the same videos every time, Elmo and, and Rugrats and uh, Veggie Tales. The same. And sometimes he would even rent two of the same video because he liked it so much. And so when that video store closed, much more than an archaic way of renting movies was leaving, a way of life for that child was leaving. That adult, 20-year-old. So his father did what a loving parent does. He built a little blockbuster in their home. Put up the shelves and all the labels and bought all the favorite videos and laid them out so that when Hector could walk into a room, he could feel like he was at the store and he could go through the whole process. Hector was speechless. He was nonverbal, so he couldn't say anything, but he clapped and clapped and clapped when he walked in that room for the first time. These are the lengths that people go to when the world is stacked against them in one way or the other. And we should honor that and remember that and remember those are the lengths to which God has gone for us. Amen.
You may be seated. As we get ready to move back out into the world, I invite you as always to take a look at your bulletin for announcements and differing, different offerings that are going on. Uh, there's a couple to, to draw your attention to. You'll see that on August 19th, there's a gratitude pilgrimage that will be hosting a day-long walk. It will be rigorous, but an attempt to to ground our lives and give expression to the, the things we're grateful for and to nourish a little bit of hope for those in need of it. There's details in the bulletin. Also, you'll see Julie Barnes. Many of you have done events with her in the past. She's teaching at Ghost Ranch in a couple of weeks. I think there's still openings for that class. If you've never been down to Ghost Ranch in New Mexico, it is one of the most beautiful spots in the country, and they have all kinds of offerings, from spiritual stuff to artistic things to... Um, they have a paleontologist on staff, so uh, just go to their website and check out what they have to offer. Uh, we've been responding to your request over the years to include emails in the church directory, and so we're going to start to take steps toward that, but we will only do that if you opt in to that program. So we're not going to publish anybody's email address who doesn't want it, but as it says in the bulletin, if you email Diane Masaraway in the office and say yes, then uh, when the next edition comes out, your email address will be in there. That is, of course, up to you. Finally, this week, uh, in a few hours, I'll be hopping on a plane to go visit family. And uh, as you know, Bethany is away. And so don't get sick. Or No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Um, there will there'll be pastoral care uh, coverage for any emergencies all the time. Um, and so Barbara Rowe, uh, Associate Pastor Emeritus, and Ted Scott, uh, are both around, and you can get to them just by calling the church. So if you need anything, they are here for you. When your backup is the all-star team, it feels pretty good. So um, I'm grateful to Barb especially uh, for her service there. Uh, and with that, with that, let's rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn, number 370. <laughs>
Friends, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.